This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we have one announcement to open this week's episode with. Andrew, what is it? Spooktober's over. What's the other one? The second one. Uh, okay, so Tuesday, November 6th. For you who live in the US, it is election day. And we go out of our way not to be like too overtly political on the show because we know a lot of people just need a break and we need a break so it's a break for everybody but uh yeah if you live anywhere in the united states you should make sure you know where your polling place is know who your candidates are know what issues are on the ballot in your area and you make a plan to vote and you go out and vote um if you have any questions about any of that stuff vote.org is a very good resource um and i believe ballotpedia also has a lot of information on the more obscured stuff that might show up on your ballot, so uh, ballot initiatives and like city bonds and, and that sort of thing. Um, I know in, in a lot of states there are bonds about um, expanding health insurance, um, restoring the right to vote to uh, people who've gotten felony convictions in the past but have served their time. That um, dank herb. That dank herb. That restoration of the franchise <laughs> that we all get so high on. <laughs> Voting. So, yeah, November 6th, Tuesday, um, you should go vote. Just go do it. And if you're listening to this after that and you did vote, good job. Thanks. I sure hope you did it. Well, let's talk about books now, Andrew. Okay, that's PSA over. Vote.org. Figure it out. (laughs) Go do it. So we are kicking off Remember November uh, Mm -hmm. this week which um, I sh- think we should say the full schedule after I say what we're reading this week. So yeah. I read a separate piece by John Knowles. Do you want to just explain the premise of the thing? So, oh, sure. Okay, so Spooktober, we get all scared, we get spooked. We're so scared that we need to retreat into familiarity. So remember November for the last, this is our second year doing it, it's um, books for the that last break one the, year for the last one year <laughs> since 2017. Remember, November has been a time for us to break the show's cardinal rule and to read books that we have read before that we just want to revisit because we have not seen them in a while. Yeah. Good to see some old, some old acquaintances, pals. perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. So this maybe week... realize that they're more racist than we thought they were oh, <laughs> originally. <boy. laughs> So this week I read a separate piece by John Knowles. Next week Andrew is talking about The Indian in the Cupboard by Lynn Reed Banks. Then we'll be reading Passing by Nella Larson and then wrapping out the month with The Eye of the World, Wheel of Time, number one by uh, Robert 15. Jordan. Or is it 14? It doesn't really matter. It's a matter. lot of books. Um, so let's get into this week's book, a separate piece. Andrew, have you read this book? Um, I did actually. So I read this in like 2009 or 2010 Whoa. and it was after college 
So and you like, thought, let me just read a separate piece. Well, for fun? well, I was like, well, I I would like to get back into reading again. Oh, because sure. I haven't done it in a while, so mm. I read a separate piece, and like it didn't like take root and help me form a new reading <laughs> habit, which is why we have this dumb podcast that we've had for like five and a half years. But I did read it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I read it in tenth grade. I don't. I didn't. You actually read a book in tenth grade. Whoa! And I I maybe um, it is at the root of some of my non-reading habits because I recall not liking this book at all, Mm -hmm. and I don't remember exactly why. I I believe I found it boring. I don't know why I was. Re- I didn't know why I was reading it. I have you're a couple descri- of thoughts. You're describing every book. Yeah, well, like, I just... <laughs> uh, I thought, I'm I kidding. Think, books I think are that great. was the same year that I read Antigone for the first time, and I was like, oh, that's a play that I really love, and I had a strong reaction to that. I read The Catcher in the Rye that year, and I was like, ooh, Holden Caulfield, he's so Man, edgy. Yeah, now I, I, read, I, uh, I read Catcher in the Rye, not in, not in 10th grade, but in a similar, like, part of my life. I think... That I read separate piece. And I think it's just like when you're trying to get back into reading, you're like, yeah, I should tackle like a book. Yeah, you know, a real like, one. Like a, like a canon book. And you go into that with all your flawed assumptions about a real book is and you read something that's kind of boring instead of reading something fun. Because if you read something fun, then you might as well be watching TV and you trick yourself into not reading as much as you should be. Sure. Yes. That that all tracks. Um, yeah. So, John Knowles, what do we know about Mr. Knowles? What Andrew? do we knowles about him? Yeah. We, we knowles that he was born in 1926 and he died in 2001. Um, he wrote a lot of, a few different novels and a bunch of stories and, and he wrote and edited stories in magazines and newspapers for, for a while. But he is known primarily for a separate piece, which was... Um, began life as a short story named Phineas that was published in Cosmopolitan in 1956, but then was published in book form in London in 1959 and then in the U.S. in 1960. Cool. Um, it won the William Faulkner Award and the, wow, I definitely mistyped whatever the name of the second award is. <laughs> uh... Which one was it? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. What are the awards? Oh, the Rosenthal Award oh, okay. of okay. the... Yeah, I, I typed it Rosenthal. Yeah, Rose, that one. The Rosenthal Award of the National Institute of Arts and Letters. Um, the main thing about his personal life that I guess we should know for this book is that um, he graduated from the Phillips Exeter Academy in 1945, and the Devon School that appears in a separate piece is kind of a, vin- a thinly veiled stand in for this school. He also wrote another book called Peace Breaks Out in 1981 that was also set at the Devon School, but didn't have any of the same characters in it and was set at a different like time. Yes. It, it so is, uh, I don't think it's intended to be a sequel, even though the setting is shared and they both have the word peace in, in their name. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's a... A character that was probably there around the same time as these events, but coming back later and being a teacher, from what I understand, it's still like sure. World War II because Knowles did, he graduated from this school, he did go spend eight months in the Air Force in World War II, um, went on to Yale and all that stuff, but this is like, the main character of this book, Gene, is basically Knowles, I would mm-hmm. I would suppose. Though he um, says that, you know, the the it's not meant to be read as like, 
thinly veiled no, 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 nonfiction. No. He says, um, the only elements in a separate piece which were not in that summer, and that summer meaning, you know, one of the ones that he spent um as part of this academy. Um the only elements which were not in that summer were anger, violence, and hatred. There was only friendship, athleticism, and loyalty. Sounds like a good summer to me. Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, this character Phineas, who uh, is a huge part of the book, is loosely based on a friend of his, David Hackett, who he met during one of those summer sessions. Um, and so I, I pulled some some facts on the Phillips Exeter School, Andrew. I don't know if you did any any research i did it. not no i i researched another separate thing that we'll talk about later what, is a separate, it peace no it's a separate piece of information <laughs> okay um uh phillips exeter is one of the oldest pr- secondary schools in the united states its first class was in like the 1780s and had 56 students in it whoa nice um it had 700 students when it went co-ed in in like 1970 mm-hmm. um and it's currently like admits about it, or it has like a thousand in its student body right now it's one of the like big ivy league feeder schools okay. up in the northeast um it uses an a to e grading scale <laughs> that i don't really understand um and also our all, students never get f's <laughs> all the all the classes are taught around these things called harkness tables where like Everyone sits facing each other, and the teacher isn't supposed to do much. It's supposed to be all student-led. Why does it skip from D to F? That's a the normal scale question. I don't. It's like you did so bad that we're just skipping E. E's for easy, basically. so it doesn't count. Mm. E is mm. for effort. There it is. And That's F why. is for for gosh sakes, you didn't put any effort in. <laughs> yeah. Um, notable alumni of the Phillips Exeter School include President Franklin Pierce, um, Abe Lincoln's son, Robert, <laughs> Rob Lincoln, uh, Ulysses Grant's son, Ulysses S. Grant Jr. Okay. A lot of presidential sons. Um, the author, your, one of the your favorite authors, vibe. uh, Dan Brown. Oh, I love him. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's fourth cousin, Norb Vonnegut. <laughs> That sounds like a joke that we made. <laughs> yeah. Both in like the degree of separation and the name. That's true. Norb. Um, your favorite, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And and Roxanne Gay, which I didn't Tony. know. Which, yeah, this is, I, I found one that I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> the rest cool were like woman. Norb Vonnegut and Dan Brown and Roxanne Gay. Sorry, Norb Vonnegut yeah. is not Norm. It's yes. Well... Um, so that's, I think that kind of sets the table where this is a book that is, um, set in 1942. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about where World War II fits into this. It's got a lot of prep school boy vibes going on. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think maybe we just take a quick break and come back into a separate piece, huh? Sounds great. Craig, I've got a separate piece of advertising to tell you about. Yeah, hit me with our first sponsor of the week. Hey, Overdue This Week is brought to you in part by our friends at Squarespace. You know them. You love them. It's a website that helps you make websites. Uh, With Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website 
to showcase your work, to blog or publish content, to sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business, announce an upcoming event or special project, and more. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. You got 24-7 award-winning customer support. You got free and secure hosting. You got built-in search engine optimization. Don't let the search engines catch you with your pants down. Don't let them do it. Unless that's what your website's about. Unless... <laughs> Um, and everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't got to muck around with code. You don't got to patch anything. Just like, don't worry about it. So um, to find out more about Squarespace and to get a special deal just for overdue listeners, you can head to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash overdue. And use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Andrew, you can't be making websites all the time. Sometimes you need to take a break and learn something. Ooh. So I want to tell you about our other sponsor this week, The Great Courses Plus. It is a fantastic streaming service where you can learn all about topics like literature, history, human behavior, and more. Um, you can watch them on the Great Courses Plus website, uh, in the Great Courses Plus app, or just listen on the Great Courses Plus app if you like. I want to tell our listeners this week about the Great Courses Plus course, Great Utopian and Dystopian Works of Literature, Andrew. Does that not sound good? Sounds good. Yeah, I was watching some of it earlier today. Um, Dr. Pamela Bedore was talking about the feminist utopian movement of the 70s. Um, where we were kind of correcting for a bunch of dystopias that came out of the world wars <laughs> and uh, talking about how kind of feminism and all the various viewpoints within it uh, influenced a bunch of writers like uh, Le Guin and others from that era. So if that sounds good to our listeners or to you, Andrew, who's listening that to, sound me, good to me, thanks. Um, you can get started with a full month of unlimited access to the Great Courses Plus for free. By going to this URL, you got to go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash overdue. Remember, Andrew, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash overdue. Learn something. Whew, now on to a separate piece of the show. Oh, 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 oh I see what you did there. You know that thing where jokes get funnier the more times you tell them? Yeah, Chevy Chase's whole career. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a, a pillar of comedy. You heard it here first. That's, yep. Well, Craig, tell me about a separate piece. Please help me. I will help <laughs> you with this by here. telling you about this book. So this book is about a dude named Gene Forrester who is wandering around his old prep school in 1958. And Cool. Yeah. So it's like, not why? <laughs> um, he is there. It opens with him just kind of wandering around. He is like, he visits a, some stairs and it's very like memorable. And he's like, oh, these marble stairs yeah, are. I do. I have a lot of great staircase related memories. Like, oh, man. I remember these stairs. They're very heavy stairs. These sure are strong stairs. And they were then, a great way to elevate myself one yep. step at a time with just my legs. And then he's kind of wandering around. He goes to a tree and it's like over this tree that's like bent over a river. And he's like, wow, this tree isn't as big as I thought it was when mm -hmm. I was a little boy. It's also pretty weak looking, huh? Hmm. 
And then he's like, and then he like jumps back in the past. He's like, well, remember when my friend Phineas I jumped out of this tree? And then the book is just set in 1942 after that. So this frame narrative gets ditched within the first chapter. And do you or ever so. go back? Like even at the end, do you no, go back? I was surprised to find that you don't. So, um, okay. it's kind of it, it gives the narrator a voice to like look back on all this stuff but even when he's in the past he does a pretty good job of like here's what i was thinking at the time he doesn't comment too much on himself i from guess this just this feels like the literary equivalent of like i'm john Knowles and i'm here to say <laughs> There's a little bit of that. The the stairs and the tree thing are some foreshadowing, um, which we'll get to. And, but other than that, I don't really know why this passage is here. Okay. Um, there is a bit about it that I do like. And, and so right off the bat, I'll say that there's some stuff about this book that I probably found as... Um, uninspiring as i did when i was 16 or whatever i was when i read this book Mm -hmm. um but there's some little bits along the way that that i was like oh okay Knowles, i get why Knowles has something going on sure okay um so like even in the first section when i'm like why is this even here um there's this he's walking around the campus and he says i had always felt that the devon school came into existence the day i entered it was vibrantly real while i was a student there and then blinked out like a candle the day i left and i was reminded Mm, of when you were still working at our alma mater um (laughs) and so so like we went to the same college if people who listening have not heard that part of our origin story and you worked there after a bunch of us graduated, and for so like three years, yeah, for a long because time because we we graduated right into the recession, and it was super hard to find a job. And I had I had already been working there like over the summer doing computer stuff. They had a position open up, and after resisting for literally as long as I could, I took it because there was nothing else for me to yeah. do. And I remember when we. Uh, me and our friend Rob, we were there visiting you and like we wanted to go and see the buildings and like wander around. And you were like, this is where I go every day for work. <laughs> and but for us, it was this like and it is it's this campus that's pretty small. It's pretty secluded. And so we were like walking through memories, literally, or, or engaging with what had changed. And you were just like, yeah, I I need to go get food or like, yeah, I like that's go where there. I go. That's where I buy Coke. Like, yeah. <laughs> so the, this feeling that the place you were in was very real when you were there. And then it like, it hasn't changed at all while you were gone or maybe it didn't even exist while you were gone is, yeah. is very real. And I, so since I, since, and since I've left, I've, I have thankfully like recovered that sure. feeling about, <laughs> about the place. I don't think my, my time working there has diminished it. If anything, it adds some like texture retrospectively because I, appreciated that job probably less than i could mm, have like while enough. i had it yeah um yeah in a way that i can only like appreciate now that i have the benefit of hindsight so so after kind of my po- suggestion if you don't like your current circumstances <laughs> is to get some hindsight <laughs> so after kind of poo-pooing the opening of this book let me just say that it does set the rest of this book up for that kind of lens of thinking mm-hmm. sure. um so we're back in 1942 uh, Gene is a 16-year-old boy at this uh, at this school, um, and 
he references later like the way that all the teachers feel about them in 1942 with the war on. Um, I think we reminded them of what peace was like. We boys of 16, we were registered with no draft board. We had taken no physical examinations. No one had ever tested us for hernia or colorblindness. And he's going on about how they have not engaged with the world writ large yet, even as the world is kind of moving forward in this great calamity. Mm-hmm. Um, I share that quote also because these boys don't quite feel 16. I don't know what I was like at 16, but these boys feel mostly like 12. And I don't really they feel younger. I thought you were going to say they felt older. No, except for the part where they're reading about like Caesar and stuff. Like most of what we see of them in this opening section is like them jumping out of a tree and then forming do, a secret yeah. society. I do remember like the the jumping out of the tree stuff being kind of the 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 pivotal event that the book kind of oh, swings yeah. on and it's and it's like the time of my life where like jumping out of a tree <laughs> because and it was fun because there was a chance i might hurt myself like that (laughs) i feel like i outgrew that by 16 by 16 i was like man let's i'm gonna go on a date with maybe a girl maybe yeah and that's like not really (laughs) in the what i was it's really not in the book at all any sort of like that classic like teen what am i gonna do romantically with my life for the uh john green of it all yeah there's no john green in this john Knowles, and it's a little like huh what are the the they're kind of like hermetically sealed in this carefree versus academia uh kind of tension um so anyway uh 1939 is when the war started 1941 is when Pearl Harbor happens, so we're in 1942. The war is this impending thing. All these carefree boys are eventually going to be put into the war somehow. They just know it. Um, but meanwhile, Gene and his new best buddy Phineas, or Finny, or Finn, depending on whatever Knowles decides to call him at any given moment, mm-hmm. um, are now best friends because Phineas said, Hey, y'all, we're jumping out of this tree today into the river. And the only person he can convince to do it are Gene, is Gene. And then Phineas is like, you're my best friend now. And that's just how it works, I guess, sometimes. Yeah, I think proximity has a lot to do with friendship yes. at that at that time in your life. And then sometimes you're just like friends with those people for the next 15 years. Yep, that's kind of so how it works. Fun. Um, and it is like there's a lot of reference to the fact that this is the summer session of the school. So there are fewer people there than normal um, which both allows them to be a little more carefree than their peers will be in the fall, but also it's a smaller population. So like, oh, you bump into this guy, and now you're best friends for life, I suppose. Right. Mm-hmm. They're also kind of an odd couple. Gene is like quiet and... Thank you. Uh, Gene is kind of quiet and studious and introverted. Uh, Finney is, I, I made a note, he's like Kramer mixed with Jay Gatsby mixed with Calvin. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. He's like athletic and carefree. He uh, likes to make up his own rules and flaunt the rules, but he does really love the school. At one point, he wears a tie for a belt because he's crazy. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> um. He later... Pump the brakes there, Finny. Yeah, he later gets a little kind of like... 
I I don't even know what like I I made a note. It's kind of flat earthy where he starts like debating whether or not the war is actually happening and whether or not it's just a bunch of fat cats who are trying to keep us in line and keep us from taking their jobs and keep us down. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like that is done in a moment where Phineas is is pretty low and and so he's not really thinking highly of the war, but it's also of a piece with this kind of zany character. A separate piece? Yes, who kind of questions the status quo. Mm -hmm. Um, So you mentioned this this limb jumping thing, Andrew, this tree thing, because it is the pivotal event of the book. They form what is called the Super Suicide Society of the Summer Session. (laughs) Which, again, that that seems like a 13-year-old thing, not a 16-year-old thing. But what are you going to do? Different different guys? Shouldn't you be like smoking or something like what, what are you no, doing uh later they do smoke they go into a place called the butt room and because i'm <laughs> nine years old i laughed a lot <laughs> they go into like a dungeon in the bottom of the dorms hey man uh, called the, smoke butt in the butt room yeah uh they, he, the, at one point he says you want to go to the butt room i could use a smoke and you're like all right let's go to the butt room let's go to the butt room is this where we talk about the books homosexual overtones overtones not quite but may or may not exist i just want to let you know that they're on my radar great that'll be that the butt room really (laughs) brought them to top of mind for whatever sure of course um so they form this suicide society of the summer session and i think it involves them jumping out of the tree like every day and like uh, encouraging other people to do it and it's always sort of dangerous at one point Gene almost falls off and Finney like grabs him by the hand and saves him mm-hmm. um, in between tree jumping like Finney invents this kind of crappy version of Calvin ball where they run around in the woods with throwing a medicine ball at each other and he calls it blitz ball which I was like cool Final Fantasy reference cool Final job. Fantasy 10 yeah yeah um, and, and he's explaining the rules of this blitz ball in a way that like made me hate him like he's just kind of <laughs> he's kind of making it up as he goes like no you have to keep your arms crossed like this all right now you can run no the is rule this the calvin element of the yes that you're talking certainly. about okay. yeah um and then it all culminates in like gene ruminating on it being like uh at dawn all day long and at midnight phineas always had a steady and formidable flow of usable energy right from the start it was clear that no one had ever been adapted to a sport better adapted to a sport than finney was to blitzball and i made a note that i was wondering why i read this book in english class (laughs) i didn't really get what that had to do with the war and the and the irony of the boys in school it just felt silly like I also, I also feel like I could be the world champion at a sport that I invented, though. Yes, 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 yes. For for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like their friendship is blossoming during this section where they're just having fun and jumping out of trees and playing silly games. But uh, Finn is like getting into athletics and thinking he's going to be, you know, super good at sports or whatever. And Gene starts to get a little jealous of him and is not sure if maybe Finn is also jealous of of Gene for reasons like doing well in school. Mm-hmm. Um, they take this like beach trip together 
where they ride three hours on bikes to the beach and then like play in the ocean and then fall asleep on the beach. Oh my god. It's kind of it sounds kind of rad actually. But but like okay. <laughs> you ride bikes for three hours, you're not gonna wanna do anything. You fall asleep on the beach, you're gonna get wicked sunburns. Like it sounds like and then you gotta get home somehow. It just sounds like lose, lose, lose. They spend the night on the beach, Andrew. What? Like they they just like crash on the beach, I guess. Um, and then Gene is super late getting back for a test in the morning, and here's where he wonders, I wonder if Finn is jealous of how good I am at school and he's sabotaging me. Now, I think Gene is projecting a little bit. So, Are there other boys? There, like, I, know, yeah. I know there are not a lot of other boys like around, but is it just them? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't remember if it's just them doing all this stuff together or if there are other people around sometimes, too. There are other boys around sometimes, too. There's a boy called Quackenbush who's around. <laughs> uh, there's My favorite DuckTales character. <laughs> yeah, there's a boy named uh, Brinker who we meet a little later who I think may have been based on Gore Vidal. Um, he, uh, yeah, that is that is a commonly accepted bit of, okay. bit of ephemera okay. about this book. Um, Brinker Vidal states that Knowles <laughs> told him that the character Brinker oh. is based on Vidal. Okay, um, there's a guy named uh, Leper. I think that's a nickname. I think his real name is like Elwin or something. Yeah, because he got leprosy that time. No, he's sort of an outcast. Um, oh, okay. And there's another boy named Chet. Uh, and they're all just kind of grow up to be a weatherman of some <laughs> <Yeah>. kind. <laughs> they're all just kind of hanging around. Um, but it really is about this core friendship between the two of them, and, and they don't really connect to the other boys um, the same way that they do to each other. But Gene is as internalizing this like jealousy tension, um, and not really knowing what to do with it. He is, again, projecting it onto Finn. Um, and it boils over at this moment where Finn runs in while Gene is studying. And he's like, oh, I'm going to make Leper jump out of the tree. Come with me. And Gene is like, no, but like studying? And he gets kind of mad at him. And Finn goes, oh, no, dude, just like study. Go. You got to be good. You're good at school. Be good at school. <laughs> and Gene is like, no, I'll come with you. Whatever. We'll go in the tree. And this is where things go bad, Andrew. This is the event of the book. Right. They're they're trying to get Leper into the tree. He doesn't want to do it. So Finney says, Gene, you and I, let's jump out of this tree together. Let's climb up on the branch and we'll go at the same time. Finney goes out first. And then I'll, I'll read the passage because this is like the thing. Please do. Yes. Holding firmly to the trunk, I took a step toward him and then my knees bent and I jounced the limb. Finney, his balance gone, swung his head around to look at me for an instant with extreme interest, and then he tumbled sideways, broke through the little branches below, and hit the bank with a sickening, unnatural thud. Ugh. It was the first clumsy physical action I'd ever seen him make. With unthinking sureness, I moved out on the limb and jumped into the river, every trace of my fear of this forgotten." Uh, and this like shatters Finney's leg and, and he is never going to do sports again. Um, so like, what do you remember about this incident in, in your reading of the book? Okay. So I remember that it's 
sort of ambiguous but extremely strongly implied that Gene did this on purpose. Yes. And I also remember that the the jealousy and the whatever was pretty much entirely within Gene's head, right? Like that like Correct. you don't really get any indication that this jealousy or whatever it is is a mutual situation. Yep. Mhm. Huh. It's it's this interesting thing where like I don't know. I'm trying. I was trying to think if I have had a friendship like this, and I don't know that I've had. Like you and I have been really close friends for very long, and I don't. You know, it's not like a rivalry thing. No, I think the things that I'm good at, you don't care to be that good at. (laughs) Sure, and like vice versa, probably. I think that's pretty close. Like I don't need to know how to direct a play. Like I'm good. (laughs) No disrespect against people who direct plays. And when we were traveling recently, like we were each like good at the at various parts of that trip i think also you know, sure like different things um but i was trying to think if i had someone i've i don't even know if i've really had true nemeses um but the the idea that there is a kind of one-way street in certain interactions ver- reads as very true that like you can invent a a, a reality for a friendship that maybe isn't there like Gene is like, oh well, I'm feeling this way about him. Then he must feel that way about me. He mm-hmm. must be trying to undermine me because Finn is so impressive that, like, he randomly sets a swimming record when the two of them are alone in like the swimming pool, and Gene is just like, man, this guy's really good at stuff. It is annoying when people are effortlessly good at stuff. Yes, yes. Because um, that's why I don't play the guitarist because I'm never <laughs> effortlessly good at it, and so sure. I always get frustrated and quit. Yes. I feel the same way about I always felt that way about musical instruments growing up actually even even as much as I enjoyed like playing the trumpet and stuff mm-hmm. I was never going to be that person that practiced too hard because what if I wasn't great I'd rather like, just be I was be fine okay. at trombone but I wasn't like the best <laughs> trombone boy yes. Um, we could get a very interesting band together you and me yes, with I your think trumpet and my trombone and oh, nothing else <laughs> and someone else really good at guitar playing sure I was don't... thinking it would be all horns and we can make like a like something about how we were horny or yeah, just like that's good. Something about horns, you know, just like think. Yeah, about it. just think. Just think about it. Not like right now. Just oh, like sorry. OK, in general. Oh, okay. I thought you really want me to think about it. it. No. Um, so their relationship obviously is like strained by this. Uh, it... Oh, you mean by <laughs> One of them like jouncing the other one out of a tree. Yeah, that seemed that's weird. Yeah, uh, he does go to visit uh, Finney at home before Finney returns to school, and he tries to confess to it. He tries to say, "I did this. I don't know. I don't really like understand why, but I I." felt a need to do something and I'm sorry I hurt you and Finney's like I don't believe that you did this on purpose because if I believe that you did it on purpose that hurts even more right because um, then he has to like reconcile this like evil gene with the person that he with cares about yeah with yeah. good gene um, so gene kind of like leaves that interaction is just like maybe maybe he believes maybe he doesn't um, so he spends some time at school with 
Brinker and Leper and and we're like and Finney's all their friends who <laughs> yes. just, they just can't call by their real dang names. Nope, just hanging. Well, Brinker I think might be his real name, but it's mm-hmm. unclear. Um, and you know Finney's not around, so there are some boys like wondering, you know, did Gene actually hurt him on purpose? Um, he does end up coming back, and everything seems to be fine except Finney can't be Finney anymore in the same way so he's going to try and turn Gene into Finney which has like a weird like kind of Gattaca like you're going to be the athletic boy now like mm-hmm. I'm going to train you to do it um, this is also like playing into Finney's like there's not going to be a war because as he later admits in the book I can't envision myself participating in it so it might as well not exist it like okay. really hurts him that he can't fulfill that like role in life hmm. um and Gene is just like not. I don't know. I and I might have mis- been like misreading at the time. I was overwhelmed with the fact that by the impression that Gene was like feeling disconnected from Finney because he can't he can't come to grips with what he did or didn't do. Like mm-hmm. he he doesn't want to admit that he did something, but he can't deny the evidence that he did do it on purpose. Um, they get a telegram at one point from Leper who has enlisted in some, like, skiing armed forces unit. Um, <laughs> and he could join the ski troops. Just the, the WASP contingent. Yeah. Just the, <laughs> the 14th skiing regiment. Like, what are you talking about? Well, he, they, they're doing, like, some pre-war work where they're all, like, getting used to doing army work or something, and they all have to go off and, like, shovel out a, a blocked train. But meanwhile, Leper is, like, going cross-country skiing and he's like i don't want to do this but then he sees some recruitment video that has ski troops and he like signs up instantly ski troops and what happens is he while he's gone they're all like romanticizing his service which is kind of an an interesting moment where anytime they see a news story about the war they're like oh leper's out there on the front lines like leper made an attempt on hitler's life and it's like it's obviously not true but they're they're kind of like the war yeah. is coming home to them. That also would have been the intended effect of pretty much any piece of World War II yes. propaganda that would have yes. been shown domestically at the time. So That's true. That's a good point. Um, so Leper sends uh, Gene a telegram, and he's like, I escaped. I need you. And he goes to visit him at his home, like off campus, like back with his family. And Leper got discharged for like, mental health reasons like he had a breakdown and this reminded me of a character i've seen crop up in a lot of novels from the 50s the one that i was reminded of was from revolutionary road there's like a son who's like he's just off and he's off because the world is off and i and i say that with some like sneer quotes but you you certainly did in the book it doesn't have the sneer quotes where he is like talking about how he couldn't bear the intensity of the situation and how it was kind of breaking him down as a person and the cause was absent from anything that he was doing and he starts hallucinating like people's faces being different and a man instead of a cane it's like a dismembered limb um and meanwhile he is like interjecting accusations at gene that he did hurt finney on purpose which gene certainly does not appreciate yeah right. um and he leaves he like they're walking through the woods and and 
Lepers telling him this story and Gene just like storms off and he's like I for all I know this guy just stood there talking for years I had well, to leave. What, what's the is there an evolution to Gene's thinking about that like does he start trying to convince himself one way or the other because Finney won't like either absolve him or like accept what he says that he did like or is he just kind of forever in this in between place like just feeling bad and weird about it uh the the intensity of the bad weird is what kind of grows and the tension between like having his life for forever intertwined with finney and i think wanting distance from it whereas in the first part of the book he's like yeah this is my best pal he's kind of a weird guy but i love him and then it's now this like this guy that I am beholden to because of what I did to him. Mm-hmm. And I would really like to not be beholden to him because it reminds me of how guilty I am, even though I'm probably not guilty. I wish I wasn't guilty. Ah. Um, and Brinker also is like kind of poking at him, being like, hey, you want, anytime you want to tell me what you did to Finney, you could just let me know. Like, <laughs> Thanks, Brinker. Yeah. Thank um, you. Go so, home, Brinker. <laughs> After he comes back from visiting Leper, um, Finney is like, he's moving around. He's still got like a big brace on his leg, but he's, he's getting used to his life. And um, Brinker organizes this like kangaroo court scenario. Brinker's on the debate. Oh, yeah. I do he's on the this. debate club or something. And so they organize this after hours trial where he calls Finney and Gene to this weird mock trial in a in a you know school building after hours right. and he starts grilling him on what happened and finney is like no i just went on the branch and yeah i, I think gene was like climbing up the tree but then i fell and they keep like turning you know almost like an interrogation like turning the light on gene and gene's like oh, i don't know what to say i can't i don't know and <laughs> finney's getting increasingly <laughs> agitated and someone goes, oh, Leper would know because they were trying to get him up the tree. And people are like, there, there's like a, a serendipitous fact that Leper has recently returned to campus, which is, I think, a little, a little, it's a little contrived in the moment. The book is actually pretty short and things tend to kind of just like bunk, bunk, bunk happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Leper comes in and he's like, no, I saw them both on the branch and I don't know who which one was first, but they definitely... You know, one of them probably caused the other to fall. And before... That's not very compelling testimony, I gotta say. (laughs) No, it really isn't. Um, But before Gene can, like, crack and maybe, like, admit to it in front of other people, uh, Finney storms out because he's so frustrated with what people are, like, trying to get him to reckon with. And guess what, Andrew? What? He storms out of the room Mm -hmm. and he falls down them stairs. Womp womp. And he breaks his leg again. And uh, they and had the heel, the heel that the original wound had not entirely healed, right? No, it had, it had healed enough. It just he had not like, like kind of was like whatever the equivalent of a boot would have been in like yeah. 40 whatever. And Maybe then, it was a boot. I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then this break is supposed to be kind of clean. So the doctor's like, OK, we can reset it. It will be OK. Um, Gene kind of freaks out and at like almost barges into the room through the window and and he and Finney yell at each other uh and then the next day he is ordered to like get some of Finney's stuff 
uh, from his room because they're roommates and take it to him in the infirmary. He does. And infirmary. They ha- infirmary, excuse me. Um, thank you. And they have a... <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> Just they, keeping you from saying infirmary and us getting a bunch of tweets about it. Uh, and they have like a, a little reckoning um, where... Gene, That's the right amount of reckoning, in my experience. Yeah, like where, you want a little one. Like a big reckoning is it's just too much. But no like, reckoning means that there are just things unresolved. In your yes, life. and and they they acknowledge what's unresolved, and they come really close to resolving it. Because Gene's like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You broke your leg again because of me." And Finney is like, "Listen, dude, you can't. You didn't really mean to hurt me, right? Like you just there. You're not." you didn't hate me. There was just like an impulse that you had. You just like something that moment caused you to do that. And Jean's like, I guess that would, yeah, maybe, but you can't believe that. Right. And they both just kind of say that to each other a couple times and agree. I, mean, I, I do feel like there is a, there is room for Jean to have wanted to mess with Finney without like actively wanting to seriously injure him. Yes. I, I and like, and, and that true. doesn't, that doesn't mean that actions don't have consequences, but like, it's not like Gene set out to break his leg or his face or whatever. Yeah. Or, or it's, uh, I mean, I think what the book is kind of exploring is how a petty feeling can have like these broader repercussions, these like, okay. Um, later in the book, uh, there's a there's a section where they're talking about like what causes war and whether or not it's this idea that like generations of men are are enacting their grudges on 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 the generations to come. And Gene is like, no, I think it's just ignorance in the human heart. Like I think it's just born out of us having one feeling and not knowing what will come from that feeling. So I do think you're right. Like there is this like open-ended question in the book of whether or not Gene knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. And that's the same way that a lot of us pour over, you know, things that we did like, Oh, I meant to say it this way, but I said it that way and it caused this person pain. And could I have said it differently? I don't know, but I was feeling this way in the moment. Um, Obviously, when you just kind of like inadvertently insult someone, you don't like ruin their life. And in the case of this book, spoiler alert, end that person's life because <laughs> Finney does die. <laughs> um, Finney does die because during the surgery to reset his leg, uh, some bone marrow leaks out of his broken leg, and gets into his heart and kills him. Um it's kind of, it's really, isn't there, again, isn't there a thing, dash, like, bing, bang, it, boom. Bing, bang, boom. Is it better, better, bing, bada, boom. <laughs> hey, I'm dying here. Isn't there a thing where it's, like, intimated that he died of a broken heart, or am I misremembering he, that? No, you're right, you're right. The doctor Because I read says, that, and I was like, you know, that's that's laying it on a little thick, isn't it? Um, let me Knowles. find the quote, because the doctor is, like, upset that he didn't send him down to Boston for the surgery. And like <laughs> so the, the doctor's <laughs> like, well, it's not my fault that you didn't send him to a better doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's like, he, he the doctor kind of stops him from visiting Finney or whatever. And he's like, oh, yep, your, your friend is dead. 
Um, and he says, uh, it was such a simple, clean break. Anyone could have said it. Of course, I didn't send him to Boston. Why should I? In the middle of it, his heart simply stopped. Without warning, I can't explain it. Yes, I can. There is only one explanation. As I was moving the bone, some of the marrow must have escaped into his bloodstream and gone directly yeah, into Yeah, so his there heart. you go. There you go, Dr. Idiot. Yeah, so it, it's almost like Knowles like, looked up like what could cause your heart to stop when your leg broke to like come up with a scientific reason for his metaphor of dying of a broken heart, right? Um, and that oh, is like... <laughs> That is getting at the heart of Finney and Jean's relationship that I think we can Aye. take to get it. Yeah, I, I get getting it. Getting at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that Aye. we can take to this kind of final thing that we want to talk about, Andrew, because there are these um, homoerotic overtones in the book. So, okay. So, so you asked me to research this. Yeah. And it's interesting because. There are definitely there's a, a history of people sort of ascribing some homoerotic overtones to their relationship, but on the other hand, it's it's like a fairly obscure branch of of this book's like readership. So let's talk about. Um, so there is a uh, there's a book called Literature Suppressed on Social Grounds by Don B. Sova. Um, she details a school in 1980 that challenged it for being a filthy, trashy sex novel that encourages homosexuality, even mm. though there's like not actually any like romance or sex that happens in the book. Not at all. Yeah. But that's that's one example. And, and there are other there are other challenges to the book that were brought like that that uh, Sova talks a little bit more about, but it's universally organized around objectionable language um so both like the normal cusses and like taking the lord's name in vain sure um and also the book encourages rebellion against authority because sometimes <laughs> they like skip class i guess well they skip class they question their their service to their country you know that kind of thing but yeah it's mostly the skipping class <laughs> yeah um Knowles himself, for what it's worth, so this is from the Sun Sentinel, um, an interview that was done around 30 years after the book came out in the in the late 80s. Um, and Knowles says, Freud said any strong relationship between two men contains a homoerotic element. If so, in this case, both characters are totally unaware of it. It would have changed everything. It wouldn't have been the same story. In that time and place, my characters would have behaved totally differently. Um, in Brideshead Revisited, Sebastian is a, fan, a fascinated character, but as the story goes on, you realize that he is profoundly homosexual, while Charles is merely going through a homosexual phase. If there had been homoeroticism between Phineas and Jean, I would have put it in the book, I assure you. It simply wasn't there. Um, there, there so there are some other, some other bits. There is a bookish piece where a, a piece on the website bookish where authors alan shane and norman sunshine like the, the piece is about like books that like helped you come out or inspired you to come mm-hmm. out and they describe um a separate piece is one of the few books of its era that deals with a strong relationship between men um but they describe it as a book where the characters had to hide their homosexuality but the other book that they use as an example in that same write-up is Gore Vidal's The City and the Pillar, which is like explicitly about homosexuality. Yeah. So I'm not sure that those two go together. Um, but yeah, the, the, the common thread I guess is that the examples I found of it being like held up as a book 
that dealt with homosexuality or that had these homosexual undertones, it was definitely in the minority. Like it, it was sort of, sure. it was conversations about the book, but it wasn't like academic criticism of the book so much. Yeah. Like, like for example, I found a Reddit thread where people were talking about it and user Marg says <laughs> to another poster, I understand what you mean about inserting a feeling or ideas that don't, how about inserting feelings or ideas that don't exist? I didn't read any homosexuality in a separate piece. I think that with the hyper-masculine culture we live in, at least in the U.S., any type of male-to-male relationship that goes beyond friendship and closer into brotherhood, people will insert a homosexual subtext to it because, you know, men can't love other men without being gay. And that rang yes, sort of true that to rings, me from my That rings very true. Book. Yes. Because I, th- I think reading homosexuality into it has a lot to do with there being no space for men to be close. I think you're I think that's exactly what it is. So there's a there's an afterword in the edition of the book I had by David Levithan and he says, but when it comes to what the story means to me, so much of what Knowles writes gets to the heart of what it would have been like to be gay at that time and what it can still be like to be gay now. Knowles did not write about two boys who know they are gay or have conscious gay feelings, but he certainly created a compelling resonance for boys who do. And that's, I think that is similar, like, we are too often in a, in a like, operating under a binary of, like, you are a straight dude who has, like, some dude friends that you, like, talk about dating girls with, or you are a guy who is interested in other guys. And, like, having this kind of intense personal connection between a man and a man is not a thing that we have a lot of schemas for mm-hmm. um and so yeah i think it what it ends up doing is then resonating for people who who don't feel safe or comfortable talking about their own homosexuality or it is like treated as something other than like what the standard male relationship is mm-hmm. and people yeah as you said don't have a uh they don't have a vocabulary for it yeah and if you want to talk about ways in which um patriarchy or like toxic masculinity ways in which those concepts hurt men like that's kind of exhibit a yes yes i think is that there's just not not room for close male friendship without it being i mean and and i'm i think that has changed a little bit now like especially in you know the circles that you and i run in like it, it is definitely less of a thing but in a lot of times in a lot of you know subcultures there's not room for close male friendship without it being sort of the butt of jokes yes because true. of like the homoerotic subtext that yeah read you go back it. to stuff like scrubs for that right? i was thinking yeah. about scrubs and i wasn't gonna bring up scrubs because that show ended like a hundred years ago but yeah like the the two male leads are very close but definitely very very straight like the entire time yes and it becomes a subject of sometimes like you know sometimes ridicule sometimes not but like often often it is ridicule and yeah like often is it a punch it is a punchline in a way that was like funny. I remember it being funny, but if I watched it now, I don't know how funny I would think it was. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, so I, when I think about some of this stuff about a separate piece, and there's a little bit of like poking holes in America, and and that resonate a lot with like where we are right now in terms of like thinking about 
American exceptional exceptionalism mm-hmm. that I think a generation that came out of that came to age in World War II and is like, why are we doing this? There's a couple of passages in the book that are like, why are we going to this forever war on the other side of the planet? Things are not as good as people say they are here. Even though I'm in a very privileged situation at this fancy school, I still think that things could be better around the country. Um, that that resonates with 2018. Um, yeah, because man, I people are doing sort of interviews with candidates for um, a lot of different offices, and a lot of the people who run have like military experience. Yeah, and sure. some of them are talking about. You know, I fought in Afghanistan and it's getting to the point where like a son that I have could be old enough to fight in this war that I fought in. And like, how do we even like nobody's even talking about it. So like, how do we like, how do we confront that? It's yeah, it's it's tough. And there's, there's tension in this book between like the the all of the guys who are you know, Gene and Phineas's age, the generation above them is the World War One generation. And Phineas and uh, Brinker both kind of accuse that generation of like wanting to be in control of it this time and kind of relive their glory days through these boys. Um, and that it's, is it's, not the that is not the takeaway that I would have from reading a bunch of like lost generation yeah. literature, but <laughs> sure, I guess. And and I don't think Gene agrees with it, but Gene kind of pushes back against that, but it's interesting that it's given voice in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that stuff was way more interesting to me here at 32 than it was at 15 or 16. The like arc of the book, which is a man goes back to his high school remembers the tree that hurt his friend and then also the stairs that hurt and his friend. also the stairs that hurt his friend and then like <laughs> kind of thinks a little bit about it was still a, a little underwhelming even as i was reading it i was like as i was reading i was going is that all this book is like <laughs> i kind of expected the secondary characters to be a little richer um i expected I don't know. I, I think I expected a little bit more out of Gene going back to it. Um, he is like the main thing is that he does this thing in the tree and then is like tortured by it. Like right. It it the book is removed from Phineas in some ways that I think a uh, a book written maybe even twenty years later would would do differently. So sure. At, as well, a or, young... or you could like bump it up like fifty years, and you could have like an infinite jest esque thing yes. where well, somebody yeah. jostles somebody out of a tree, but then it's two thousand pages long <laughs> and mostly about like sure. consumerism. Yeah, but like thinking of schools, <laughs> thinking of books that are set in like cloistered prep schools, right? Like that whole tennis academy thing in Infinite Jest does share tennis DNA academy. There's the with this. Um, yeah the halfway house the, um, yeah not ton of French the um oh that what, book what are you that I read of? that I didn't like that much uh oh um, which one hold on it's by by Donna Tart oh um, the um the secret what is it called the secret history the there secret you go. history yeah yeah that it does have a secret history vibe to um where they're kind of in this like place away from the world which puts all of their decisions in, in stark relief. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I think some of the res maybe that's like to its credit is that some of the resonances feel 
bigger than the actual events of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly how people have responded to and talked about this book, I think in some ways give it longer legs than, than I might. Well, and it's, it's also like it is, you read it originally in 10th grade. So yeah, if, that's you're, true. if you're yeah. reading it from the perspective of a 10th grader, like obviously it's not going to fully resonate, but the, yeah, like trying to hit those emotional beats or like story beats in a way that is a little bit quicker and maybe a little bit more digestible is appropriate for that age group. I certainly also maybe. remember that being a a point in my education where they're like they're teaching you about how our authors use metaphor and yeah, right, sure. and I certainly even reading it now I'm like I don't know that that's really popping out of this book. So I feel like it was it failed me in the classroom as a like way to learn some of those building block concepts and so I was just like enough of this book. Um, I don't know if I remember if I paid close attention to the butt room part because I probably would have liked it a lot though. <laughs> You're just um, like, I gotta separate myself from this piece. Oh, that's how I felt. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that much. Well, that's a separate piece. Um, I I'm actually surprised with how much I had to say about it because going into it, I was like, this is a boring broken leg boy book, and. <laughs> I've come out with a little bit more to think about. Man, you know? I hate that that whole genre of <laughs> bummer broken leg boy books. It's, there's too many of them these days. You can't can't turn a corner in a bookstore without hitting five of them. You can't swing a dead cat without breaking some boy's leg. It's all the rage. You know? Um, so if you, the listener, have some thoughts on Separate Piece, if we did not cover your favorite part of this um, rather slim volume, uh, please hit us up at OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash OverduePod, twitter.com slash OverduePod. Uh, a lot of folks have been responding to our schedule as well as last week's episode on Hell House schedule. and Terror on the Titanic. Um, thanks to, among others, Elise, Stephanie, Akshat, Philip, Stephen, Aaron, Morgan, Emma, Anthony, Z, Adam, Juliana, Nima, and many more um, for engaging with us on social media, which helps us feel good and helps others find out about the show. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and RSS. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, do rate and review us. We are pushing a 1,000 ratings right now. Woo! Which has been a long time coming. I feel like that's the amount of ratings that we deserve. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, up there, we also have a link to our Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com slash overdue pod. You can give us a little bit of money and support our work if you'd like. Um, we have our schedule. We're, I think Craig will update that yeah. when he uploads this episode because I just said that he would. So now he's trapped. Um, we also recently updated our new listener page. Uh, so if you are recommending the show to somebody new and from among our like 320 whatever, 30 whatever episodes, um, you want to point people at something that they might like. We've got a big old list of episodes up there that we are happy with and that we think kind of represent what we are trying to do with the show, whether that be like goofy or pseudo intellectual, just like whatever, the, whatever mood takes us that particular week. Um, so as Craig said at the top of the show, 
I'm reading um, The Indian in the Cupboard by Lynn Reed Banks next week. Will probably be our most challenging of the Remember November reads. Yeah, I think so. We'll see about that. Um, And like we said at the top of the show, please do vote on Tuesday, November 6th, if you have not already. Um, it's, it's, it's really important and that's, you know, we're not going to preach at you anymore, but vote.org, find the info you need and just go do it. Bonus points. If you listen to us on your way to or from voting, or if you just like tweet us a picture of your, I voted sticker, I don't know. That's how social works, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Do that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.